you're a visitor this morning, let me say welcome. Thanks for worshiping with us at Substance this morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the elders here at the church. This morning, we're going to finish up chapter 12 of the Gospel of John. We've been going through John. Then we're going to take a break for the summer. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then jump into 2 Timothy. We'll pick back up mid-August in John and then finish out John. So we're glad you're with us this morning. Let me say this, if you need a Bible, there are Bibles in the back and I encourage you to grab that. If you wanna use your phone or iPad, you can do so. We use the ESV version of scripture. I'm going to make multiple, multiple references to our text. So I'd encourage you to please make sure you have God's word somewhere within your reach here to follow along with me. Again, if you're a visitor, we, uh, we preach expositionally, meaning we're going to go verse by verse through Scripture, look into what it's saying, what it means, and how we might apply that to our life. As chapter 12 comes to a close, the Gospel of John um, uses verses 38 through 50 as kind of a summary of everything Jesus had been doing up to this point. As a matter of fact, chapter 13 jumps right into the Thursday night of Passion Week, Jesus gathering with his disciples. So John uses this section as a summary of all that Jesus had been teaching and preaching and reminds his readers of this. And so as we think about that this morning, um, it brought to me the memory of last September. <clears throat> last September, a Category 5 hurricane hit Florida, one of the worst in the history of Florida. Very deadly, very expensive, very tragic. And as this hurricane approaches Florida along the Gulf Coast for days, the national news and the local news begin to tell people, be afraid of this, pay attention, don't take this lightly, make plans now so that you are safe. Every day for multiple days, the news stations are saying the same thing over and over and over. And the day the hurricane hits, there's a point in time where the news actually said this. First responders came on the television and said, leave now or good luck, you're on your own. We will no longer be able to leave safely and try and rescue you. 144 people died in that storm. The majority from drowning because they did not listen to the warning, to the caution, to the offer for safety. This morning, as we look at our text, that same scene plays out as Jesus speaks one final invitation before he's going to go to the cross. So as this chapter brings a close to the public ministry section of Jesus' life and ministry. 
he again will be offering one last chance before he goes to the cross. Now, as we read this, I'm going to make references back. Again, this is a summary, and so we got to make sure we understand all the things that Jesus has been saying. So we'll jump in and out of some of those this morning. But let me say this, keep in the back of your mind, the level of unbelief is pretty astounding when you think of all of John's gospel. Let's pick up our scriptures. I'm going to divide this into two sections. I'm actually going to start with some verses from last week because it's important for those to be tied in this morning. So I'm going to be in John chapter 12. I'm going to start with verse 25, and then I'm going to take us through verse 43 to start. Let's read along together. Jesus said, whoever loses his life or whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I will then, and, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you become sons of life. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what, we, uh, what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For Isaiah again said... He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it 
so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I want to stop there before we jump into our next section. Verse 37 begins this section that I'm going to address this morning by saying that he had done so many signs, yet they still not believe in him. The question would naturally arise for us is exactly what were the signs that had happened that were so many. We have started in chapter 1. We've worked our way to chapter 12. Let me just remind you of a few. Chapter 1, Jesus turns water into wine. After that, he heals a Roman official's son. He then feeds 5,000 people with some fish and some bread. John chapter 11, Lazarus dies. Jesus goes to Lazarus, raises him from the dead after four days. Next scene, we have Jesus and Lazarus and people meeting and Mary and Martha gathered at a meal. Just this set of verses I read before this, we have a voice from heaven coming out and saying, this Christ is Christ, the Messiah. Think of the amount of signs that had been given. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, wow, it'd be so much easier if I could have just walked the earth when Jesus walked. You know, if I would have just seen him and heard his words, wow, it'd be so much easier, right? Anybody ever do that? Didn't seem to work here. These people, religious leaders, everyday folk, saw, heard, observed, and yet that wasn't enough. Verse 38. Now, all the commentators that I read this week agreed that this section from Isaiah is speaking about Jewish believers foreseeing into the future, seeing the gospel message, and saying, not many believed. Verse 38, look at it. It says, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This book of Isaiah, frequently quoted in the New Testament, actually one of the main scriptures from the Old Testament, revealing the coming Messiah, Jewish people would have been well-versed, well-understood when any reference to Isaiah would have been used. Lord, who has believed what, we, what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? John uses this to say, the arm of the Lord is the strength and the power of God, but the strength and power of God is sending 
not a conquering king over the Roman Empire, but a suffering servant. Who's going to believe that? You don't have Jewish people running up front to say, yes, give us a suffering servant over a conquering king. No, they created a conflict. They wanted a savior that was different than the savior they needed that God had sent. This is 39 and 40. I'm going to get into this a little bit at the end of our summary section, but notice very succinctly here what is said. Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Well, these are very troubling set of verses, right? And you're probably saying, I can't wait for Jeff to clear this one up. Well, we'll do our best as we look into Scripture and let Scripture interpret Scripture, a principle you and I must always adhere to. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10, gives us some insight. So turn back there if you would, because I want to make you aware of something. Isaiah chapter 6. Old Testament, verse 10. This is a section of Isaiah being commissioned by God to be a spokesman by God, to be a prophet of God, to speak to the people of God. Isaiah 6.10. Make the heart of his people dull and his ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now, I want you to notice that if you keep your finger there, back to what is being said in chapter, um, in back in John 12, verse 40. Notice the order difference. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Isaiah said, he hardened their hearts and blinded their eyes. I think what John is getting at here is, again, what he has said in verse 37. He has done so many signs, and yet they still did not believe. So many signs that blinded their hearts, then hardened their hearts. So Jesus has revealed their sin, revealed their need of a savior all the way up to this point, proved, shown, discussed, I am the savior, I am the Messiah. You see God, you see me. My message is not my message, but God's message. And they have a choice to make. Put it like this. If you look at our text, verse 37, they did not believe. Jump down to 40, they could not believe. There's a very clear pattern, I think, in Scripture that says eventually God will harden your heart and give you over to the sin you desire. Did they already have hard hearts? Yeah. Did they refuse to hear and see everything that had been taught up to this point? Yes. 
Romans chapter 1 gives an example of this, of God giving people over to their sin. That should be a scary thing for us this morning. God hardened their already sinful, hard heart. Let me also poise this question to you. Is God always just in dealing with sin? Is he always fair in dealing with sin? Absolutely. So the question is not God's fairness, but the response of people to the gospel. They stood guilty already. You and I stand guilty already. Let's jump down to verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, Isaiah said these things are going to happen. People will not embrace the Messiah. People will not listen to the gospel. People will desire darkness over light. And when the Messiah comes... That's going to be the dividing line that exposes all of this. You know what God used to reveal their sin? The glory of the Christ spoken of in verse 41. The glory of Christ hardens their hearts. And again, Jewish hearers would have known about Isaiah and the prophet and the coming Messiah. And so speaking here, again, Isaiah has this understanding of what's going to happen. Verses 42 and 43. Yet many leaders believe. Many leaders believe and now follow Jesus. We know of two of them, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, two Pharisees that had placed their faith in Christ, and despite being Pharisees, were willing to risk following Christ. Now we don't know how many others, but we do know what was happening. There was great fear among them and others in following Christ because they might be put out of the synagogue. Let me paint a picture for you. The synagogue, we would refer to similar to the church, was the gathering place of all people. But especially in the Jewish culture, it was the center of uh, interactions and family life around the synagogue. It was the place where friendships were formed. It was the place where people did things together and encouraged one another and supported one another and poured into one another. And those who would follow Jesus would be excommunicated, sent out. So they would lose these close relationships, these close friendships. And it was too much. Let's jump back to verse 44 and let me read these and then we'll uh, take a look at those verses and then in our time together. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. 
And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Notice verse 44 and 45. The shift as John writes this gospel inspired by God. The shift is one more plea. Jesus crying out one more time. The wording in the original language is a very, very strong, passionate plea. It's like, listen, listen, listen. Kind of like the example I used of watching the hurricane approach and the people on the news saying, this is it, it's your last chance. Take action now, be safe. And Jesus cries out one more time in passion, believe, be saved. Verse 46, Jesus says, he came into the world. In other words, he has left heaven. He has left the Father's side and came to earth to be the light. This light and darkness Example has been used all the way back to chapter 1, if you will, in John's gospel. It would have a very significant meaning, again, for the Jewish audience. Maybe not as much for us. We have varying ways of thinking about light and dark. But, but let me help paint the picture. D.A. Carson, a seminary professor at Trinity Seminary, says this, that Whenever light and darkness was used, the Jewish people automatically would connect it to good and evil, God and Satan, purity and impurity. Light's been a reference, if you will, to the Jewish people all the way back in the Old Testament. You remember during the Exodus when they left Egypt and they're in the desert, God is with them, showing he will guide them, protect them, instruct them, protect them in the day with a pillar of cloud and at night with a pillar of fire, light, showing his very presence was with them. You go to the Psalms, there are numerous references. I picked Psalm 27, where it says, God is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? A reference to God being light. And even in Isaiah, if we went back there, chapter 9, verse 2, it says the people have seen a great light. Those who have walked in darkness have seen a great light, referring to the Messiah that has come. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the light. 
I and the Father am one. I'm the light who illuminates to you who God is and what God is like. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 1 says, in ages past, God through, or spoke to his people through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus. Jesus saying, I am the light that shows you who God is and shows you the way back to God. Verses 47 and 48. Let's pick up there a moment. He says this. One who rejects me, excuse me, 47, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. 48 has to connect this, so you get a good understanding. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. Jesus says, I did not come to judge. And you might say, wait a minute. Sounds like Jesus is saying, I didn't come to judge. What's going on here? Well, he's saying this. He's saying, look, my first appearance as Messiah and Savior has been about me saving the world, being the light, pointing you the way back to God. And what you do with that truth has already judged you. You will be judged on your belief in me and my gospel. Now, the second time Jesus appears, we will be judged. We will stand before him in judgment. And then finally, verses 49 and 50, the, the commandment that is spoken about is the gospel. What do you do with the gospel will have eternal consequences. And so Jesus is saying, God's gospel is true. Believe it. It is God's message and offer to anyone who will believe it and be saved. What you do with that has eternal consequences. See why I'm saying this is a summary of everything Jesus had been doing and saying because he's going to switch and the next scene is going to be just hours and days before the cross. So here's three things I want us to take away from these passages this morning. First of all, this passage reveals an awful lot about who Jesus is. I don't want you to miss this this morning. Now, verse 40, as I said early, uh, earlier, is one of those sets of verses that um, probably is going to cause you to question a little bit, to wrestle a bit. But look at the depth of love Jesus has for lost people in this passage. I want you to notice that, the depth of love Jesus has for lost people. I mean, verse 37 says he has done so many things and people did not believe. Jump down to verse um, 44 and he still cries out, believe me and be saved. I've done all this stuff, you rejected it. Let me, let me say one more time. Believe in me and be saved. I, and think of the love that it takes for that. I mean, at some point, you have to think Jesus was like, man, I'm so tired of this. 
I mean, how much more do you need? Thankfully, he didn't do that with me. And for some of us this morning, because we heard him cry out. Think of the depth of love that Jesus has for us. Now, for some of us this morning, maybe even most of us, I don't want you to raise your hand, so um, please don't. How many of you went right to this verse and thought, how unfair of God. How unfair of God to harden somebody's heart so they couldn't believe. What's the point? Easy to get there? Easy to think that? It's, it's a reminder of the deception of sin and darkness. Let me say this. Sin always causes us to question who God is, how good he is, and what he's trying to do. Let me just point you back to Genesis in the beginning. Adam and Eve, perfect relationship with God, right? Serpent shows up on the scene, begins to talk with Adam and Eve, Eve first, and makes her question how good is God. Did God really say, don't eat of this? Did God really say you would die if you go against him? Did God really, you know, this isn't in the text, but let me just say, here's kind of the scene. Is God really that good? What's God withholding from you that's better that he doesn't want you to see? You know, God's a God of love, so you're not really going to die. You see the point here? The deception of sin is for us to go right to chapter 40 and say, how unfair of God. I want to remind you this morning that God is fair. Because no one, absolutely no one, because we have all sinned, deserve salvation. Think of every single person beginning back in John chapter 1 who has seen and heard Jesus. All the miracles he has done. All the people he has touched. All the people he has interacted with. And yet is still saying in verse 44, come and believe. There's a chance. Come and believe. The issue was they had to make a hard choice. They first refused to believe, and then second, they could no longer believe. You want sin? You want separation from God? You want to trust your ways and hope they work? One day you will not even be able to hear when God presents his gospel. That's a scary thing. The longer you live in sin, the harder your heart becomes. The longer you live in sin, the blinder your eyes get. The longer you live in sin and rebellion against God, the more your heart can't understand. But when I look at this passage, and I look at it from someone who's now in the light, I see a merciful Jesus. Mercy meaning God not giving us what we deserve. 
the merciful Jesus in verse 44 saying, believe in me and be saved. I see a graceful Jesus, a God full of grace, giving us what we don't deserve. All the way down to verse 50, if anyone believes this gospel, you will be saved. So there's a mercy and there's a grace and there's a love that I see in these passages. Those of us who have responded to the light, those of us who believe in Christ, this section of scripture should just warm our hearts to the point that we have a deeper love and affection for Jesus. The patience, the love, the grace and the mercy of Jesus should draw us deeper and more affectionately into our relationship with Christ. I was thinking this week, these verses caused me to pause and remember when I lived in darkness and when I came into the light. My heart is at rest now. Jesus said that would happen. You'll find rest for your souls. You know, you need to strive any longer and battle the darkness. Yes, we battle sin. Don't hear me wrong, but there's a settledness, a peace, and a rest being in the light. Those of us who have responded to the light are secure. We need not worry anymore. You're a son, you're a daughter. If you were in the light, if you were in Christ, you're part of God's family for, verse 50, eternity. That should cause us to rejoice. Second thing that I want to look at is this passage reveals a large amount about sin and the gospel. Matter of fact, all of Jesus' ministry wasn't about, hey, come have your best life now. Hey, um, come and I'll help you do better at living in life. The message of Christ from chapter 1 to now, matter of fact, all the way to the end was you're separated from God. You can be restored through Christ. What are you going to do with Christ? Jesus uses the illustration of light and dark in Scripture. John records it starting in chapter 1. John 1, 4. In him was life, meaning Jesus. And the life was the light of men. Verse 9. The light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And then chapter 3, verse 19. This is judgment. Light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light. That's the message that continues all the way through here. And so in our section, Jesus as light is the true light, the light, not one of the lights, but the light. The light that illuminates us to who God is reveals to us God's ways, his attributes. The light Jesus reveals what is dark. 
what is ugly, what is in error, what is sin, what separates us from God. So we are without excuse. The light shows us the way out of darkness into the presence of God. Jesus proclaiming in 14, chapter 14, just a little bit in August. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He exposes to us the way back to God. And the light exposes the right way and the wrong way we are live and demands and desires that we live by God's, or God's moral standards, not our own. This light is revealing. But this morning, I want you to think of this. Three things always happen when the gospel is proclaimed. Three things. First, whenever the gospel is proclaimed, the truth is proclaimed. Catch this. Not man's opinion, not man's writing, the truth is proclaimed. God is holy, man is sinful, we are separated. So the truth, truth is proclaimed whenever the gospel is preached, spoken, revealed. That's the fact. God's holy, we are sinful, we're separated. Second, the gospel always does this, produces a crisis. It produces a crisis, a conflict in our heart. The conflict is, if one is true, God is holy and I'm sinful and I'm separated, and Jesus is the only way back, what am I going to do with this? Am I going to try and reason it away? Am I going to try and academically process it? But what am I going to do with the gospel that says Jesus is the bridge back to God? And then third, the third thing that happened is a person either believes it or they reject it and both have eternal consequences. What did the people learn about Jesus in this passage? First, they learned and saw and heard that Jesus is deity. Now that was the first thing that was hard for anyone to accept. Jesus said uh, he had left heaven, come to earth. That he and the Father were one. Whatever he said was the same as the Father. Elsewhere in John, he said, you see the Father, you see me. He's deity. And so first thing that was an obstacle for anyone is, how can I believe that Jesus and God are equal? And then the other things that people saw that they had to deal with from a Jewish perspective or from anyone during this time era, there were three offices, if you will, that Christ fulfilled that Jewish people understood. First, there's the office of prophet. A prophet stood and spoke the very words of God to people. Okay? Jesus fulfills that. He says it in this text, doesn't he? Verse 49, it's not my words, it's the words of the Father. Second, he fulfills the office of priest, which was a mediator between people and God. He would stand and take sacrifices, and a priest would and uh, atone for the sins of people. Jesus does that. In verse 47, he says, I didn't come to judge, but to save. 
And his very life would be the atonement. And third, Jesus is king. The third office, he is king. A king, a ruler who reigns over a kingdom now and yet to come. And in verse 50, they would have heard this eternal component that is spoken of in God's word. So what was the crisis? What was the problem? What was the struggle? Will you hate darkness and love the light? Will you desire what you desire or will you believe? Quickly, seven times in verses 37 through 50, the word believe appears. This word, believe, appears seven times in our passage. Now, let me challenge you this morning to say, when you and I, in our Western world mindset, hear the word believe, we automatically go to some academic, intellectual agreement, right? I mean, that's what we think. Yeah, that's possible. I can agree to that. Sure. Academically, I see where you come at with this stuff. But here's the true meaning of the word believe. The word believe is a verb showing action. My wife's smiling because she's like, I can't believe you got that. She's a teacher. A verb is an action, something showing action. Listen, here's my summary of putting things together in their language for our language to understand. It means to be certain of Jesus to have a complete confidence in who Jesus is and what he has done, and because of that, you commit your very life to Jesus. It means to believe, to understand, to agree to the point your life is committed to now living for Christ. Far cry from an intellectual agreement, isn't it? For the people that heard this message of Jesus at the time when he would say, come after me, believe in me, they knew it wasn't just a mental agreement. It was a turning in devotion and love and following. He said it in verses 25 and 26. Whoever loves his life and their ways will lose it eternally. Whoever hates his life, meaning hate the sin that drives and lives in him, whoever hates that and repents will live in eternity. So sin's goal is to always make us question this message of Christ. Third thing. And final, every decision that has to do with the gospel has eternal consequences. Why was Jesus so passionate in verse 44 by pleading again, whoever, here's the word, believes in me, also believes in the Father? Why was Jesus so passionate about that? Because he knew it has eternal consequences. The scene shifts in chapter 13 
Jesus, for the last time in his public ministry, cries out, much like I shared the story of the hurricane. Now's the time. Believe now while you have a chance, Jesus is saying. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says, God has put eternity in our hearts. You and I have been created with an eternal component. And that eternal component is going to live on in God's presence in heaven or that eternal piece of you will live on separated from God and all those who believe in Christ in hell, in darkness. The same gospel plea was proclaimed this morning, not by me, but by God's word. Same thing holds true. What are you going to do with Jesus and his gospel? Eventually, your heart gets harder and harder. And I was thinking this week, man, this is a hard message. You know, it's a little fire and brimstone-y. But my task is to preach the verses that appear today. These are Jesus' words, not my words. And then I thought it's not that hard of a message to be truthful. It's the most loving message you can ever hear in your entire life. It's the greatest news that we who truly believe give our lives so that we follow Christ joyfully, live in and proclaim now. Good news. That's the gospel. What are you going to do with Jesus and his gospel? Let me pray this morning. Lord, this morning as we've opened your word and looked through it, the summary of your life and your offer of salvation is so clear throughout chapter 1 all the way up to this last plea in verse 44. And Lord, we know this morning that even as we gather and read your word, you still cry out passionately to those maybe even some in our congregation that have gathered this morning who don't know you. Lord, those who heard your message were a lot of church people back in your day. Oh, they knew a lot of religious things. They understood and memorized maybe even the first five books of scripture. They, they knew how to be religious. But the move from darkness to light required a surrender and a devotion to you, Jesus. Some this morning are wrestling with that same very thing. They heard, they saw, and they wrestle right now. Is it worth it in my life to follow you. Well, they can. Your offer is still an offer of salvation this morning. It would just require that first they admit their life is separated from you. 
admit that on their own they try to do religious things or they try to make sense humanly and yet they understand you spoke this morning and they know they're separate from you. Second, they simply can believe that you're the only way back to God, Jesus. Your gospel fully reconciles man to you. Your gospel is the thing. It is the light. And you are from God. And you bridge that gap. And so in knowing that, the next step is simply to confess. Confess they need you. Repent. Give their life over to you. Sure, we're going to battle darkness, but the truth is, when we repent and return to you, we are now sons and daughters. This is your message. You came to save. For anyone that's wrestling with that this morning, I pray that they might repent and give their life to you and enjoy this eternity that you offered. Anyone that did that this morning, I'm going to stick around afterwards and would love to just pray with you. Or if you have questions this morning, stick around, Scott, maybe some others can. Lord, this morning, thank you for your gospel. Thanks for your clarity of your gospel. And we love you, Jesus. Amen.